0: Welcome to The Roots Podcast, brought to you from the Training and Equipping Ministry of Chanctonbury, exploring revival, church, leadership and culture. Discover more about our community at chanctonbury.org.uk
1: Well, welcome everybody. Um, We are coming to the sharp end of our series on Luke's Gospel, uh, which those of you who've been about the Chank family for the last 18 months uh, will have realised we've been going right the way through Luke's Gospel And that's coming into land at Easter and at the end of April we'll get to the end of Luke uh, before we go into Luke part 2. But as we've been seeking to track through everything that Jesus is teaching, everything that Jesus did, everything that Jesus was, not missing out a jot of Luke's gospel, we're peppering uh, a few podcasts over the next uh, few weeks as uh, really extra resources, devotions, uh, and basically also so we can cover every part of Luke's gospel um, because there's a lot to cover particularly as we come into Easter. So um, I'm going to be um, doing this with a few other people uh, who tend to help us unpack the scriptures around Canterbury. and I'm delighted uh, that David Ingle is here today. Uh, David is um, one of our preachers, he's a member of this church and David also runs his own ministry called, David...
0: It's called Burning Hearts, all about exploring God's word through film.
1: Now, David, uh, we've given you a beast of a passage uh, (laughs) just to talk about today. Uh, And we've had some cracking um, passages recently. Uh, A fortnight ago, we were digging into the incredible parable of the prodigal son and the elder son. Uh, We had the dishonest manager and all that stuff. Uh, And David, today, we just want to get into um, Luke chapter 16 and we're looking at verses 19 to 31 Uh, so do read along with us Um, Luke 16 we're picking up at verses 19 to 31 and this is a very graphic very vivid parable Uh, and David give us a quick overview first on what's going on in this parable and then we'll uh, try and get to grips with it
0: Well, you're meant to have in your mind, I think, what Jesus has just been talking about. And particularly uh, some things that Jesus has been saying about money. And uh, we've been told the Pharisees loved money. And so they got a bit grumpy with what Jesus was saying last week. Um, And then Jesus says to them, um, uh, God knows your hearts for it is prized by human beings. And money is top of the list in in our thoughts because of what he's just said is an abomination in the sight of God. Mm. Um, So so money is squarely in our sights, and we'll see that that's reinforced by the first words of today's passage, which are, there was a rich man, which is exactly the same as the first words of last week's parable, there was a rich man. So um, it's it's a story which, on the face of it, it might look like it's about uh, heaven and hell mainly, uh, but actually it's focused on money, our attitudes to money, and connected to that, our attitudes uh, to other people.
1: Beautiful. So ladies and gentlemen, strap yourselves in because uh, we're going to cover some interesting topics. Money, as David has mentioned. We're also going to just touch on why this is not primarily teaching about heaven and hell, but we're going to talk about judgment one of the favourite topics for uh, Western Christians. (laughs) Um, How to turn people off, um, some might say, but we're going to talk about God's judgment and what that is and how vital that is to a healthy walk with God. And finally, we're going to touch on resurrection. So, money, judgment, resurrection. Here we go. Small topic. (laughs) So, David... Uh, what's coming out for you from this parable of uh, Lazarus, the rich man, and what's going on?
0: Um, are we going to read it? or Yeah, yeah let's read it. <laughs> so, do, do, yeah, so, shall you... I read it? Um, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, and he feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue." for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us is a great chasm that has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, For I have five brothers, that he may warn them so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead.
1: Yeah, powerful stuff, uh, powerful stuff. Um, So David, let's go in straight away. The rich man seems to be connecting back to the rich man in the parable of the dishonest manager. What's coming out to you from this parable? What do you think Jesus is building on and where is he taking this Uh, by introducing again another rich man, unnamed, and Lazarus and their different plights? before God
0: well I think the fact that he's unnamed is actually really significant. Um, in in the world we focus on uh, money wealth status and and actually in the sort of uh, religious culture of Jesus's day people often saw that as well that must be a mark of God's favor God's blessing so you must be doing something right and uh, rich people well we all know their names Elon Musk Bill Gates Warren Buffett you, you know who they are. Um, people of, of importance and status, the king, the prime minister we know who they are mm. but, but the homeless guy outside the local supermarket mm. just gets ignored, people often don't even notice that they're there, we don't know their names mm. and Jesus is flipping this in quite, quite a striking way uh, and suddenly the rich man is unknown, he's nameless whereas the poor man we know his name, he's called Lazarus and that's really uncomfortable. I'm interested, if you, if you read commentaries, they always call the rich man Deves. And it's like they're trying to give him a name. Mm. Uh, we don't like the fact that he's, he, he's not named. Um, but Deves is actually just Latin for rich man. And, and Jesus is, I think, trying to show us that, that money and wealth is not what we think it is. Uh, and um, eternally, you can be rich uh, in the things of this world, but but in serious, serious problems uh, with, with God. Uh, and um, the rich man is defined purely by how much cash he has mm. and his material uh, kind of sumptuous living. Mm. Uh, and he's been focused on that, obviously at the expense of eternity and Mm. eternal things. He's done the very thing that Jesus has been telling us not to do in the previous passage and in his little disagreement with the Pharisees. And Jesus is warning us, I think, in this passage, uh, primarily not to make the same mistake, Mm. uh, not to be like the Pharisees who loved Mm. money, Mm. uh, but to be um, focused on the things of eternity, to be focused on Mm. him instead. And um, well, the Pharisees were the religious people. So there's a, there's a challenge in there for us. You can be religious, you can be dedicated to God, and yet still have this grip on your heart mm. of money. Mm. And that's a, a dangerous and, and terrible thing. Mm.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's really powerful. I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. Uh, but also, uh, so often uh, riches lead to power and influence. Mm. And it's interesting how this parable plays out, that the rich man, even though he's in the place of torment, uh, his attitude towards Lazarus is still, um, seems to carry over.
0: I mean, it does, doesn't it? I mean, he still thinks he can boss Lazarus around. So, you know, oi, Father Abraham, send that guy down because I'm important, I matter, I'm significant. Um, and, and Lazarus should be serving me mm. just like he did in life. Mm. And and Lazarus should not be serving mm. him mm. just like he did in mm. life. And I think there's a, again, what are our attitudes mm. to people in this world? Uh, I, 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 um, I I said on Sunday, because in Washington we were week ahead and I was preaching on Sunday, and I told a story about, um, uh, we, we had um, a passage on a Sunday one time which was mm. similar to this, uh, talking about how you should... Um, not um, look after the the rich man, but ignore the poor man. Mm. And then later in the week, we had the Lord Mayor coming round for a big (laughs) service. He was wearing all his robes and, you know, we were bringing him to the front. And I was like, do I treat the Lord Mayor of London um, in the same way as I treat the homeless guy who comes Mm. to our Sunday Mm. congregation? And I sort of, I could almost say yes, Mm. Um, Mm. but, but it was uncomfortable. And, you know, if the king turned up, I would treat him differently to, you know, bless him. I love him. He's he, uh, We've got a great king. This is not, but but actually God doesn't care any more for him than he does for that homeless person. Mm. And, and this is a parable which I think is meant to sort of needless on that because we do, we shouldn't, but if we're honest, almost mm. all of us do
1: yeah and and i think that's really powerful when we're doing life together as a church isn't it um because isn't it so easy to notice those who look the part address the right way are very articulate well mannered uh, you know and uh, and those who are a bit like me uh, awkward um you know uh, maybe more introverted you know I I was preaching at one of our other places, Ashington, on Sunday, and I was saying uh, it's really interesting to ask ourselves who isn't likely to get an invite back for Sunday lunch amongst us. <laughs> and I think just again this challenge about you know wealth and influence and power and status, I think is one that we should uh, try and embrace. Yours truly. Um, <laughs> uh, 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 first and foremost um, if we want to be really authentic radical followers of Jesus
0: can, can I just say something following on from that which is that I think we also need to be honest with where we are in, in mm. this as well mm. and I think if there's anyone who thinks that this isn't a problem for them mm. that you know, my attitude to money that I, I never think about it too much mm. um, it, it's never in danger of of supplanting Mm. god that then i know you've got a problem Mm. because all of us struggle in this area Mm. and and i love how jesus places the bar high Mm. i think that the the church of jesus christ has spent most of the last two thousand years trying to water this down Mm. um and i think that's partly because we love money and we want to carry on loving money and all those things and Mm. we just look at how wealthy the church is Mm. um but I think it's also past, partly that we we realise it's unattainable. Mm. Um, but the way that we respond to things being unattainable when Jesus pushes us to be perfect, he, mm. he says that in the Sermon on the Mount, be perfect even as your Heavenly Father is perfect, mm. is, is not to water it down and try and make it easier, but also not to be in despair or despondent, mm. but to remember that we live in the shadow of the cross mm. and that therefore our... our our journey with God and money, I think, is one of constantly recognising we get it wrong, yeah. constantly repenting, yeah. receiving forgiveness, and asking for God
1: Amen. to help us be better tomorrow. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, and that, that's so good. It just reminds us of, you know, the third of our church values. Revival starts with me. Revival starts with James. You know, I want really to just re-look really at this. And um, There's this, it's probably um, anecdotal, but uh, do you remember that sort of famous encounter Aquinas had with the Pope back in the 12th century? And uh, Aquinas was being shown around the Vatican by the Pope, showing him the glories of the Vatican and the, the, the prowess and splendour of um, everything they built in the name of God. And um, uh, the Pope turns to Aquinas and says, uh, No longer can the church say, Silver and gold have I none and Aquinas turns very provocatively and says, and no longer can the church say, rise and walk Um, (laughs) and I think there's something that we just need as, in the west with our materialism, that just is like a wet blanket on the power of the gospel and what it means to radically follow Jesus, that we just have to wrestle with great, well tick, (laughs) I don't know if we've done that, but we've opened it up Um, David I mean, this is one of the most powerful um, images in, in this parable from Jesus um, that is often symbolised in medieval Christian art, um, the place of torment, hell, um, heaven where Lazarus and Abraham are, and the great chasm and the cross bridging that chasm and all of that stuff. Uh, you said right at the start of this pod, you didn't think this was about heaven and hell. Um, just talk a little bit about that
0: well I, I think it, I, I'm, I'm a little bit torn um, because as I'll, I'll sort of maybe finish on that there, there is something about eternal, uh, eternity and eternal judgement here mm. but but it's a parable um, and parables aren't usually about the sort of the stuff of the theme you know the, the parable of the sower is not about agricultural the, the, power, uh, the parable of the um, wise and foolish builders is not about the construction industry and um, as last week's parable, which was about a dishonest manager, mm. uh, shows us, if we place too much weight on the details of parables, mm. we can sometimes miss the point that Jesus was making mm. and come to startling conclusions. I don't know many people who think that the parable of the dishonest manager means we should all be fraudsters, mm. um, because Jesus clearly didn't think that. <laughs> but but equally, I, I don't think we should be building our theology and our sort of geography, if you like, of, of heaven and hell and judgment on the basis mm. of this parable and there's bits where it's it's clearly playful and sort of Jesus is almost having a laugh I mean do, do we really think that Paul Abraham has, has pulled the short straw that he's going to spend the rest of eternity fielding grumbles from the other place I mean that's <laughs> not going to be a lot of fun he's not going to be enjoying heaven um, uh, th- th- this isn't something which I think we're meant to take too literally mm-hmm. but I think we are meant to take it seriously mm-hmm. and, and there's a very clear message here that there, there are eternal consequences mm-hmm. to the things that we do in life. And those eternal conf- consequences are far more important, far more significant mm-hmm. than whether we can afford a new suit or mm-hmm. whether we eat well or whether we've got loads of cash in the bank account. Mm-hmm. Um, and And we need to get our minds and our hearts right there. So it is a terrible thing to mm-hmm. land on the wrong side of the eternal judgment of God. Mm-hmm. And that is very much kind of uh, in the background here. Mm. So I don't want to say that, that, there, that there is nothing here mm. about mm. that. But I don't think that, that drawing conclusions and making artwork and all that kind of stuff on the basis of the rich man and Lazarus is, mm. is the right way to go. Go, go, to, go to Revelation. Go to other bits of the Bible for that.
1: Yeah. That's, that's so good. Thanks. Um, thanks, David. Just, just talk a little bit then about these eternal consequences and what we might refer to as God's judgment. Because this is, this is one of the things that's going to happen at the end of history. Um, it's, it, it's, it comes towards the conclusion of the Nicene Creed. God, Jesus, will come again to judge the living and the dead. So give us an, a, an overview of the eternal consequences and what what that means for you and I as we're seeking to live out our lives with that in our um, our kind of peripheral vision.
0: I mean, and I mean, as you touched on at the start, this is something that we hate to talk about in in the church in the West. Um, uh, it's something I'm actually really passionate about, though, because the Bible talks about it all the time. And um therefore we need to talk about it. Um I think we should be talking about things as much as Jesus talked about them, not more, mm. but not less. And I think the Bible talks about this a lot because, because people matter. Um and you know, in some ways, if we dip into this this story, this parable, mm. we have this man Lazarus, who has in life been destroyed mm. and, and ignored, and you know, he is a child of Abraham he, he's made in the image of God and the the wickedness and the injustice and mm-hmm. the sort of the wrongs of this world mm-hmm. um, is profoundly destructive on him and and if he matters then then something needs to be done about that mm-hmm. and there's there's a lot in the Bible about people crying out for God to put things right mm-hmm. and there's actually a lot in our contemporary culture, we don't like to talk about judgment, but we do rail against suffering. And we do shake our fists at God and say, why is there so much wrong with the world? Mm. And and the Bible tells us again and again that um, it's us. I mean, there's that old sort of cliche, but very true, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. Mm. And all the, the pain and the suffering and the problems of this world, the Bible tells us, go back to us and our sin and our wickedness. And, and that needs to be dealt with. And, and, and I think when you put it like that, you suddenly realise that, that judgment is part of, of the good news, actually. It's, it's part of God putting, putting things right in this world. Um, but because we don't like the sound of it, we, we avoid it, and therefore we don't wrestle with that. And I think a lot of people are then thinking, okay, well, does it just mean that God's nasty, that he just wants to smite me? And actually, no, it's part of God putting things right. And yet at the same time, there's a profound hardness to our hearts, which this passage speaks really quite powerfully into, That that sometimes we are, in fact, more than sometimes we are just rebellious against god and so we think well you know why can't we just have heaven without hell why can't we just have you know the salvation bit and all the good stuff and let everyone in and and the answer is because well we if we're unredeemed and our hearts are unchanged and until sort of you, you know we, we're transformed Paul tells us at the end of time you know mm-hmm. the final salvation when we no longer sin mm-hmm. is still to come and, and in my current state I'd, I'd ruin heaven mm-hmm. and I'd turn it into hell or the very mm-hmm. worst, uh, maybe earth but you know while we still have sinful people who are living their lives in rebellion against God mm-hmm. we can't have the paradise that we long for mm-hmm. um, and therefore there must be judgment and judgment is the sort of the other side of the coin of salvation Mm. and and we're we're told here at the end you know even if someone rises from the dead Mm. they're not going to be convinced Mm. Um, and of course i don't know whether to laugh or cry when i hear that because there's a playfulness there's a joke jesus knows he's going to rise from the dead Mm. Mm. but but also i want to cry because Mm. what he's saying is it doesn't matter how good the preaching you know you could preach a sermon that Jesus himself would be amazed at how good it was. It doesn't matter how astonishing the miracles mm. People's hearts are hard mm. um, And if their hearts are hard then judgment must be a reality mm. um, But that breaks my heart mm. and I mean it should break all our hearts, um, you know Jesus died so that you didn't have to be on the wrong side. I mean, that's quite a big thing to do. You know, he, get, he got crucified. You know, I often hear people say, oh, well, you know, I really struggle with the idea of judgment. And I want to say, well, not enough. Mm. Not enough. Because if, if you really struggled with it, mm. you'd be on your knees all the time yeah. praying for yeah. people's salvation. You'd be out there telling people, preaching the gospel. Preaching the gospel. Yeah. You'd, be, you'd be willing to die like Jesus died in order for people to, to be saved. So God struggles with judgment far more but, but he knows it's, it's necessary. So, um,
1: so David, I feel like pretty much every church in the West would love to see more salvation, more people getting born again, more people uh, reached, churches growing and all of that stuff. And yet, if we're really honest, we're not out preaching the gospel in our day-to-day lives. We shirk the opportunities to actually confront somebody with Jesus. um, Do you think that's because we need a return to a framework that there is going to be a final judgment, that there is eternal life? Um, Do you think that would really help us recapture a sense of God's heart and his compassion and the urgency to, to share who the Lord is?
0: I think yes and no. I mean I think we do need to rediscover judgment and as as you know one of my earliest film series was on judgment because I I think we need to rediscover this and maybe I should do a little plug and say go watch it if you want to find out more. But you know we should be talking about this as much as the Bible does. Mm-hmm. And that the, the the witness of scripture and the witness of church history tells us that actually preaching judgment does sometimes bring people to repentance. a lot of us these days said oh nobody gets converted because of you know fear of hell, you know let's tell them about god's love and that'll lead them into the kingdom. well Actually, people do get converted. Yeah. Um, I mean, one of the great, most famous—yes, yeah. one of the most famous sermons that has ever been preached, and which set off one of the biggest revivals mm-hmm. in the 18th century. Jonathan Edwards and his sermon was called "Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God," mm-hmm. and I—I I mean, I just wilt at the title of it, and, and I think, <laughs> oh, no, 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 no I, we shouldn't do that. Yeah. But but he—it's it, all here in the Bible, mm-hmm. and 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 people got saved in their thousands probably their millions Mm -hmm. under his preaching and that was the big sermon so we we need to get over ourselves and admit that actually we do need to preach this and i think Mm -hmm. if people hear it many more will be saved than we think because some people you know the way the way we present it at the moment is sometimes oh jesus will make your life better and some people just think they're thinking well, my life's okay, thanks. Um, why do I need Jesus? Well, because otherwise you're gonna be facing eternal judgment, and that's really not okay. So become a Christian. So I we we do need to preach this more. But I also I just want to sort of push back a little bit and I want to say, I I think that that we what we also need is we need our hearts to be changed. Yes. Um, you know, and I, I suppose I want to ask a thought experiment, imagine your closest non-Christian friend and imagine you going to them and talking about judgment Mm. and and heaven and hell. Um, For a lot of us, we worry that the response of our friend would be to get cross and that that might damage the friendship that we have with our friend and we don't want that. Mm. But that actually means that we love ourselves Mm. and the benefit that the friendship brings Mm. more than we love our friends. Because if we really loved our friends and if we really loved God... Um, you know, there's we're willing to risk a friendship mm-hmm. in order to bring about somebody's eternal salvation mm-hmm. um, or put it in a different thing. If you start talking about this in the context mm-hmm. of the workplace, mm-hmm. uh, people might get grumpy with you. Mm-hmm. People might, you, you know, there might be, you, you might be passed over for promotion, or worse, people might raise a complaint against mm-hmm. you. You know, mm-hmm. do we love the people in our, our workplace? Do we love mm-hmm. God enough that we're willing to um, risk this worldly consequences Mm -hmm. and and until the church of jesus christ is willing to risk this worldly consequences to tell people about jesus Mm -hmm. i think we shouldn't be surprised that they don't they don't get the urgency because we don't seem to either and also until we're willing to pray more and it it is one of the things i love about our church is that you are calling us Mm -hmm. to pray Mm -hmm. and because it's it's not great sermons from you that will convert people. It's God changing their hearts. Yeah. So,
1: Lord, please do it. <laughs> yeah, that's so good, David. I'm just getting challenged and inspired and um, convicted again just to uh, you know up my own personal... Uh, uh, to confront when I shirk opportunities to actually share Jesus in the fullness of who he is, not as a life improver, uh, but as the one who brings real life in all its fullness. Um,
0: um, can I just say me too? Uh, yeah. That you know, this is the, the fingers pointing back at me, <laughs> not just at those of you listening.
1: Now, now you talked a little bit about prayer, and I, I just want to bring this um almost round the onto the home straight, where Jesus finishes in this parable in um well, there's, there's two hints, it seems. We've got this guy, Lazarus, and I was thinking just reading this over before we got together you know you don't you, there aren't that many names in the gospels and so when lazarus comes up it's almost like ding 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 you know i'm thinking of of uh, lazarus who appears in john's gospel the one who's raised from the dead and then we have uh, the rich man's um, plea from the place of torment which is please we send someone back for my family uh, moving beyond his own plight and, and Jesus turns to him and, and says, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. So it seems like, what's going on? Just talk a little bit about resurrection and what's going on here.
0: Well, I mean, as I said before, I don't know whether to laugh or cry at this point, because I think Jesus is, is reminding us who look back on this story um, that he rises from the dead himself. And that he is the first fruits, I think, as Paul puts it, of mm. those who are risen from the dead, mm. and and so we will rise again as well. So there's there's a there's a huge and glorious good news here, mm. which is that um, of course not only do we have Moses and the prophets to listen to, but we also have someone who rose mm. from the dead, uh, and that means that. You know, the, the flip side of all the stuff we've been saying about judgment is there is salvation mm-hmm. and we will rise with him yeah. if we put our trust in him, which is just wonderful.
1: Mm-hmm. Praise the Lord. Um, but, and Um And what's interesting here, you know, sometimes I can think to myself, man, if Jesus would just walk down the middle of our communities and just reveal himself. You know, surely everybody would fall on their knees and, um, you know, be born again and uh, and come into the kingdom. Um, but there's a there's a there's a reality here about um, even the resurrection of the Son of God uh, doesn't lead to universal acceptance of the lordship of the Son of God. Um, why is that? Do you think? And where does that leave us as the church?
0: I mean I think it's because our hearts are hard and I think that's that's the really core and uncomfortable truth of this passage that Jesus is saying there are some people who love money so much mm. there are some people who are so focused on the things of this world um, that it doesn't matter what evidence they see of, of God, mm. they're just going to crack on um, and I think where does that leave us I think, uh, thankful that God has saved us mm. but I think it I mean you said prayer I think it it must draw us Mm. to our knees because Mm. I can't do it Mm. Mm. Um, and it it reminds me of um, you know talking about death and resurrection Mm. Uh, Paul talks about us as dead in our sins Mm. but we are resurrected spiritually Mm. even as we will one day be resurrected physically Mm. by Mm. God and only God's resurrection power can do that mm. so you know think of all the people you be, you, you've, you've been longing to become Christians or people you've been thinking about as we've been talking about judgment um, you do need to tell them you do need to go and speak to them mm. but but also get down on your knees mm. and pray mm. Um, mm. that God would do do the heart work the heart mm. surgery first
1: mm. Mm. so good and and I'm just reminded of 2 Corinthians 4 um, and how it's, it's the God of this world that's blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And I, I, th- I think what I come away with is, is a summons to my knees uh, to wear out my kneecaps, to up my intercession, um, because the gospel is flourishing in other parts of the world. But if we're really honest, as the white English church, the Gospel seems to, it seems to eke out one or two, but when it's not you know ripping through like wildfire around our nation, and it makes me say, "Lord, have mercy, Lord may your kingdom come um, and and to really rediscover uh, what it is to be a praying church Amen um, <laughs> me too. <laughs> So, Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of your word, which is glorious, but so, so challenging. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would flood our hearts and minds with Jesus, 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 and give us the grace to start at home, start with ourselves, revival starts with me, Um, and to raise him up as foremost in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, David. Thank you.
0: Thank you for joining us on the Roots podcast. To connect with our community and to find other resources, visit chanctonbury.org.uk.